Wake up, buyer payer people. It's a beautiful day. Go grab yourself another cup of joe and say hello to Jim and Michelle Rhodes on the Buy Here, Pay Here morning show. Take it away, you two. Good morning, everybody. Oh, my goodness. I hope that y'all had a, uh, a nice weekend. We certainly did. Yeah, and happy Halloween to everyone. Yeah, happy. We are not dressed up in costumes, just so you guys no, know. No, we're not. <laughs> but you can imagine that we are. If no, if, if you want you. to. I mean, it's. I. I think we're we're <laughs> we're doing good. It's uh, where we're at right now. We're still in uh, uh, Phoenix or Chandler, right. Arizona. Mm-hmm. Just finished, wrapped up the Arizona Finance Conference mm-hmm. yesterday. It was a great conference. We were. I hope that uh, those of you who listen we're able to catch some of the sessions that we, that we broadcast live. It was, it was really a great experience and some wonderful topics, really yeah. informative topics. And uh, it was, yeah, it was a great time, but so it's 6am here and right. you know, we've got a early flight to catch. So we're kind of running around and I'm like, Jim, one minute, Jim, 30 seconds, Jim, <laughs> yeah. 10 seconds. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so we're here. Let's and get an audio check from our listeners and make sure. Yeah. Um, just let us know where you're, where you're listening from and uh, say good morning. And we would love to hear from you. So yeah. um, got a few things that are happening um, uh, coming up soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, besides, you know, today's Monday uh, to, uh, on Wednesday. Uh, we have a special guest joining us for White Hat Wednesday. Scott Allen is going to be joining us, the current president of uh, NIADA. So we bumped into Scott at the conference here. And uh, and so we're glad to have him come. We have plenty of stuff to talk about with Scott. So please tune in Wednesday as we kind of move into the uh, uh, BHPH Super Forum next week. But yeah, we look forward to having uh, having Scott with us. And uh, we got a couple things to talk about today. We're going to pick back up with our series on my nine E's of collections. So yeah. I look forward to getting into that. And then just one more quick thing. You know, it was just nice to be at the conference this, this uh, weekend and and reconnect with people that we've known. Oh you God. know, it's just always good industry people that we don't get a chance to spend enough time with. And, you know, you talk to them regularly, but. Uh, but just a little bit of face to face. Yeah. That's actually one of the things that I really love about doing conferences is, you know, being able to actually see the people and connect mm-hmm. with them. Cause it's a very different way of connecting with them than when it's a zoom call or, or over the, you know, just a phone call or emails sure. or whatever. And, and it's uh yeah, it was, it was really a great, great experience. Yep. Um, also just before we, there cut two other things before we get dive into topic for today is uh, next week. It's next week, isn't it? Next week. I it's think next so, yeah. week. Mm-hmm. Next week is the Super Forum, right. um, which will be in Austin, Texas, and um, it should be a really uh, great conference. That's mm-hmm. that's one that I've. Um, we talked with Bill and Janet from NIADA last week, mm-hmm. and a really different format than they've had in the past, and it looks like it's going to be. Um, just there's a lot of buzz and we will be broadcasting that live as well Mm -hmm. um just like we did with the arizona conference so yeah yeah, um i gotta give a quick mention to michelle she did a a heroic job yesterday (laughs) with uh, broadcasting two live events we had to kind of shuck and drive the time changes were shifting a little bit but for the time uh launch time i should say start time 
But all in all, it was wonderful to work with people from uh, the Arizona yeah, Association. Yeah, they were so helpful. They're really, really great. And so, yeah, I've got to reconnect. And, you know, one other thing, um, and, you know, <laughs> if you haven't done it, guys, if you haven't done it, it's time. It's time. It's time. Your safeguards training um, goes into effect December 9th. Right. And um, so this is something that everybody who is out there in listener land that's a dealer or someone that works at a dealership, um, please make sure if you're working at a dealership and your dealer hasn't started doing that training, have a chat with them. Right. Um, there's some really great options out there for you to to get the training that you need. Um, one uh, one of them is actually going to be at the Super Forum. They're gonna they're gonna have a all day or a half day course. Um, oh, on, yeah. on safe and training. So at the super forum, but if you're not able to come to that and you want the, uh, um, still need to be able to get that safeguards training. Um, Texas TIADA has put together a really great online course. It's not difficult. I mean, done at your own pace, very, uh, cost effective. It's it. And, uh, and you know, you can get it taken care of relatively quickly that actual certification and yeah and yeah. texas just put it together you don't have to be in texas to uh get this uh national ftc training so uh, yeah definitely jump in there grab that course quick way to get it done online and and make sure you're covered when that new legislation kicks in yeah absolutely okay um yeah good morning to uh philadelphia mississippi uh, to Bill Elizondo, Chantel Hardy. Good morning. Glad to have you yeah. join in with us. Uh, someone um, from Mississippi, is it mandatory? Yes, it's mandatory nationwide. Yep. Yep. So this is something that every dealer in the 50 states mm -hmm. needs to, needs, needs, yeah. needs to, um, to get this training taken care of. So um, if you haven't done it, there still is time. Mm -hmm. Um and uh, yeah, there's just there's some really great options out there to be able to 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 do that. So, um, all right, shall we? I shall. Okay. Okay. Well, let's talk collections. <laughs> we um, we're on uh, number three of nine. Some time ago, I wrote an article on the nine mm -hmm. E's of effective collecting, and uh, we've covered two of them. And uh, so now today we step into number three, which is evaluate. And that is really, you know, as you might imagine already, that's really about measuring. Uh, performance, you know, measuring KPIs, whatever kind of indicators we might choose to look at. So we're going to make some recommendations about which um, which numbers that we think you should look at. Those of you who have, uh, you know, followed any of our education out there, you know that I'm a big proponent of collection efficiency. So I'm going to talk about that one last, um, but I think it's just, uh, it's important to know that a lot of that ties back to the philosophy that we recommend. And mm -hmm. so when we are doing training with dealers, you know, if they're, if they're following the practices or sort of adopting the approach to collections that we would recommend, then that's why collection efficiency to me is most important. Um, so that's one that, um, you know, I think is, um, is we'll just save that for last because we'll also be talking about that at some length at the super forum in that session. Uh, but just know that's the one I lean on. And I always tell people, look, if I'm going to pick one number for collections, that's going to be it. But for those of you who aren't necessarily following that same uh, business approach, maybe it doesn't apply as much for you. So the first one I would recommend, obviously, tracking is um, or one I would look at, certainly that's most common, is delinquency. And, 
you know, with, with most of us, that's kind of our go-to number with many dealers that we work with. That's kind of the go-to number they look at. I think, um, again, philosophically speaking, delinquency is not always the one that I recommend first. It's just, it's um, usually it's one of the ones that the yeah, dealers like common. are, yeah, my delinquency is X. Or, yeah. yeah. And it's easiest thing. for them to produce. Like, you know, it's an easy dashboard thing to build around a delinquency report and know where you're at. Uh, so I think obviously delinquency is a number that we need to be aware of. And, and especially when we have a lender in the picture, you know, if we're, if we're using some, uh, outside financing or a lender to, um, to, to, you know, capitalize our business, then obviously they, they often look at delinquency and at a certain stage of delinquency account would become ineligible or be deducted from the borrowing base. And so financially that becomes a really important number for dealers to think about in that situation. And I think sometimes I feel like that's problematic because it might influence a dealer uh, negatively in terms of how they would approach a customer mm -hmm. because of that. It causes, sometimes I see that it causes dealers to apply pressure or collectors to apply pressure to a customer um, that really is related to our business practices. So it's almost like it's, you know, it, it's, we're the ones creating the situation because we've got pressure around that 30 day delinquency where we, we definitely recommend an approach that's more flexible. And, and none of us, listen, when I talk about those things, flexible, when I say that we're obviously going to always try to enforce, but at the end of the day, we're going to bend without breaking and be cooperative and work with people in that regard. So that's why I think sometimes it's necessary to have a customer run delinquent for a time because my preference is to have the dollars end up in the bank mm -hmm. even if they come a little bit late so this is where sometimes it gets to be problematic and look we get it lenders have to you know have to have tight parameters they can't let uh, delinquency get out of control but you know we know that when delinquency reaches a certain um, stage unless the customer has paid recently then at some point delinquency becomes um, tomorrow's charge-offs so that's why, you know, we have to watch very carefully the the delinquency part. And uh, we know that I think um, I hope I quote this right. I think, um, Ken Shilson used to say that in our um, line of work, um, 30 days past due is a lifetime and 60 days is a charge off. Yeah. So it's like we just need to be aware that, you know, that's part of it. Tracking the delinquency is an easy number to get to. Most but of I would, DMSs have that kind of yeah, it's a, yeah. Every every yeah. every DMS is going to have some sort of a a delinquency report easily enough, so that that part can be done. But then this is why you start to look now at recency, and I think recency is helpful. I just think the problem with recency is it only tells part of the story. So the way recency works for any listening who are not familiar, it's basically going to tell you you know, of your customers, and, and most people do it, most 20 groups, I think, do uh, recency on all customers. So, you know, a quick example would be if you have 100 customers in your portfolio and 90 of them have paid in the last two weeks because they're bi-weekly, then that would tell you, you know, you might, you might look at your recency report and only show that, you know, 10 of the accounts show to not have paid recently. But I think that's that's that only tells part of the story. So I think it's really important to look beyond recency and just kind of use it as one indicator. Like I like to think of it as a multi-section thing um, or, or look at a cross-section of multiple things. So if I look at delinquency and I look at recency, um, then, you know, now we're getting a little closer 
Uh, I still think that tells an incomplete story, even with both of those. Mm -hmm. So for example, when you've got a customer who's paid, and by the way, for my own clients, we only track recency on customers that are past due. Meaning, you know, again, with, with, um, 20 groups and and other places where they might track recency, they're going to typically look at that across the entire portfolio. But if you look at your list of, of, of customers, of course, the customers that are current have paid recently. So it's like, why, why would I want to only look at a, you know, sliver of my, it's, it's just, it's just data size. It's like, why would I look only at recency of the entire portfolio? If I look at recency of only the customers that are past due, that's a little more telling to me and it's larger data pools. So it's easier to track the trends and see the difference. But if you think about a customer who is past due, that also hasn't paid in the last 20 days, 25 days, whatever makes sense for you based on when you're measuring it, then now obviously that is a customer that's at risk. You are looking at potentially tomorrow's charge offs if you've got somebody who's past due and hasn't paid recently, right? So that's, that's why both of those become important. So we got a question. Uh, we uh, actually had someone that, that mentioned that 45 days, they have to buy back the account. So I need to collect by 30 days. And there are buybacks associated with some of the capital providers out there. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when we talk about when you mentioned Ken Shilson, it's like 30 days bad, 60 days charge off. Yeah. Um, it, you need to make sure that you are paying attention to what your capital providers require before they do a buyback. And, and mm-hmm. yeah. Good morning, Taylor that. Bird. Listen, we haven't forgotten about having you on the show. We'll have you one morning soon. Uh, so I answer the question on the 45 days. This is exactly what I'm talking about. The, the, they have some sort of arrangement, whatever t- type of funding they've got. The, this, um, this person on Facebook says you have to buy back the account, you know, at 45 days. Well, what that tells me is we have to then apply pressure to the customer to get that in based on what, based on our status with our lender. Well, how's that really the customer's fault? I mean, that's, you know, if the customer's got a job change, mm-hmm. there's not much they can do about that. And and if you were in a position as a dealer and I'm not picking on you, I just mean at any one, any one of us is in that position, then it just, to me, it causes undue pressure on a customer who's already got some level of stress. And now we just run the risk, I think, of, of charge off and, and failure. The customer's inclined to give up too often when we're applying that level of pressure. And, and look, you know, it's the end of the day, we got to obviously accommodate our lenders and meet those covenants. Mm-hmm. I just, what I find is that, you know, we, we need to be, we need to set up our business in a way that allows us to navigate those covenants and still be able to have an appropriate level of cooperation with our customers. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the part that I would be, you know, emphasizing. And then the other numbers to think about would be what I call principal conversion. So conversion rate is really my own definition. I've kind of used that for years. You know, you'll hear other people tracking similar numbers, maybe collateral recovery rate, Um, I forget some of the other uh, terms that are used for, you know, basically different ratios of the same thing. But really what I'm talking about is at what rate does your principal in your portfolio convert to cash? Mm -hmm. And we typically look at that as principal only understanding when we collect payments from a customer. And if we look at this typically on a monthly basis, like, for example, if I'm looking at September's results, then I would look at what it, what was the p- principal balance in the entire portfolio at the start of September, 
And then what did we collect from customers in principle during the month of September? And look at that ratio as a percentage. So that's that's what I would call a conversion rate. And what's it really a great has conversion to, rate. What's that? What's a good conversion rate? Um, it depends on the term of the loan. Like it, it varies by dealer. And I think for for this case, you know, typically we see them in the three percent range. And and this is changing a little bit because you know contract length is extending, which means what we would collect from any one customer on any given month is going to be a smaller number, mm -hmm. you know, as the term extends. So I can't say, you know, what's good for any one dealer, but I, I think with these numbers, it's really first about measuring your own numbers and looking at, you know, how was September versus August tracked down on a rolling average basis. And again, you know, the, even that number is going to move a little bit because, you know, not every month has the same number of days. Uh, not every month has the same number of Fridays. And so this, the actual number will vary some from month to month. It's more a question of how consistent are we being and can, will we be able to recognize and identify if we did have a drop off, mm -hmm. will we be able to identify the source of that? Well, to know, we have to first measure it. it that, that's exactly the point. And, you know, it's uh, looking at reports and, and tracking things for a year sounds incredibly dull. Yeah. Right. Um, it's part of running an effective business. You can't, you, it's, it's really impossible for you to be able to determine when changes took place, um, and be able to narrow down where changes are, where, you know, where the breakdown was, unless you're tracking, um, very consistently. We can go by our gut, but I mean, how many times are our, is our gut wrong? Yeah. yeah. And I think there's also the timing, you know, um, and I didn't mention as we went through delinquency and recency, those are often, I would recommend those are, are something we'd look at. If I'm a dealer, I, I want to look at that weekly. And even then we have to be careful about, um, you know, overreacting to the, those numbers. When we see those numbers that the you know, nature of our line of work is that delinquency will move up and down. You know, it'll move up and down based on a number of factors. And, uh, you know, we've always talked about, obviously, during the holidays, mm -hmm. when school starts, when the county fair comes to town, you know, you will see delinquency uh, spike up during those kind of things. And so it's really important to not overreact. And, I, and I'm mostly thinking about these things. When I think about collection metrics, I'm really thinking about our team and how do I how do I measure the performance of the team? not micromanage them exactly. and overreact when you know there's movement and so in order for me to to know that i have to you know monitor rolling averages uh, it's not that i don't have a conversation with them but to apply pressure and you know you know otherwise kind of chase them around with a stick at a time that they're really doing the job well in the way that matters most mm -hmm. then this is where i think we, we have to track a number of different ways so if, again if i'm thinking delinquency and recency i'm probably looking at that number weekly and even at that i'm probably not overreacting now principal conversion that's a number we're going to look at on a monthly basis and even that again month over month is probably going to move some so we really need to be looking at rolling averages and look and see okay how was my september compared to my six month or my four month rolling average so that i can see are we because if we think about what that number means it's what is the portfolio generating like what is the yield on our portfolio at what rate are we successfully converting the portfolio to cash and and granted when we collect and we're also going to measure the interest collected but i'm really just looking at 
how much principal did we collect compared to where we started the month? And then how much principal do we charge off compared to where we started the month? And then also just looking at how those two numbers compare, which is getting close to that collateral recovery rate. That's kind of a complex formula, which I'm happy to share. If anybody has an interest, we can share the, the method for calculating that, which is that's a number that a lot of lenders look at. I find it, um, it's, it's again, it's one more metric. It's one more thing to put on the, the, the graphing, you know, as a way to, to keep an eye on, you know, what's happening with the business. But again, I think that's a better long range number. And, but once we settle in conversion rate, collateral recovery rate, whatever the numbers we're using, then now we've got information that's more predictive mm -hmm. because now when you look at that number on a four month rolling average, then now we can better say, you know, if we're sitting here on the last day of October, yeah. we close the month and tomorrow we're able to run our conversion rate for the month of October. And we can see the last four month or six month rolling average. Now we can better project what we should collect in the month of November. Mm -hmm. So as far as planning our buying and all of our, you know, budgeting and forecasting, then it becomes more predictive, which is, you know, one of the challenging parts about our business is, is being able to anticipate cash flow, yeah. you know, and project it. So, so we think conversion rates are an important one to, to monitor, but again, that's a monthly number. And then coming back to collection efficiency, and, and I won't go too, too long here because we've got other information out there recorded on this subject, but Basically, with collection efficiency, we're really measuring how well did we do, and it's a weekly number, by the way, and it's a number that we look at, typically looking at 10, 12 weeks on a rolling average basis, because again, we don't want to get too worked up about the results from any given week, um, mm -hmm. depending on, if we're looking at it weekly and a high percentage of our portfolio is bi-weekly, then we probably shouldn't be surprised that that number would move up and down a little bit, depending on the size of the portfolio, but Really, what I'm suggesting is almost irrespective of that, you would look at what is contractually projected. And this is an important part of this mm -hmm. because your software may not give you that number. So I would, you know, look into your DMS and say, can I get to a contractually projected number? And basically what I'm meaning And that's that's not um, you know, we've when we've dealt with talk to different dealers, there's like, yeah, it's right here and they'll pull the report and it's actually includes also all of the past due amounts as well. And so we're looking at what's just contractually due. So based on every contract that's out there at like a $450 uh, a month payment, or if you know that break that down to um, the 125 or whatever, um, that that is what that's what by contract we should be collecting today. Yeah, and I've also seen DMS that will give us um, some sort of, it might give us a projection report and you can run it for the upcoming seven days, for example, but it's using some aggregated averages. And even those I've seen reports where it's not accurate. It's not, it's not converting a monthly, you know, into a weekly in the way that, you know, we know we should. And so I'd be really careful about you know, relying on that number. Certainly mm -hmm. if you're, if you're going to try to rely on in the way that, you know, we've been able to rely on, I've been tracking this number for dealers for 20 years. And so we, we have a consistent process. We know, mm -hmm. you know, how we want to go about that. And now we know what kind of results to expect. Yeah. So I would just be careful about looking for those kind of results. And this is a number where I can tell dealers, you know, what to look for in terms of a percentage. Mm -hmm. But I think the first thing to remember is you got to be able to get to a contractually expected number. So let me just make sure that people understand when I say contractually expected, I'm saying if a customer has a payment of a hundred dollars a week, 
then obviously if we run a projection report this morning on a Monday for the upcoming seven days, Monday through Sunday, that customer should appear on that contractually due report for $100. Even if they're past due and they actually owe us $150 today, I want to know how much are they due according to the contract this week? Because now I can go back and measure that and say, okay, what did the portfolio yield? you know, last week compared to what it was contractually expected to produce, irrespective of customers being paid ahead or paid behind. I'm simply saying my entire portfolio is supposed to produce this amount of time, this amount of money in this period of time. And now how well did it actually do? So this is a number that the reason this is important is because now we can, we can look at how are collectors doing in terms of getting the money in the bank. Yeah. Even if they're even if those payments are coming a little bit late, if we're working with customers and we're being flexible, which is a an approach that we recommend, that bend without breaking approach, then this is why I think it's more important to, you know, focus on collection efficiency and success with that number. I, and this is always hard for dealers to hear, but it's like I would de-emphasize the delinquency, especially in my pay plans because we we end up penalizing collectors who are otherwise doing the job the way that I'm suggesting that we would want to manage collections. So I just recommend that we shift. Doesn't mean you take the delinquency piece away altogether Mm because delinquency is always going to matter. It's just that when we penalize collectors for not performing on delinquency, you know, that's just asking them to, to, to put pressure on customers and and, and life circumstances happen with our customers. And and we just know life is life. We can't, we can't change that. Exactly. And, and that also, you know, when you think about your team and morale and, you know, uh, whether or not they can, uh, doing collection efficiencies or measuring based on that, it gives your collectors the ability to have a fresh start every week that they're not coming in already behind. And they had a bad weekend because it's like, I am so far behind. And, and it's really interesting when, when a, well, it's, it's just fact. I think that when someone feels pressure to get money out of someone because their job is on the line or their bonus is on the line, they tend to not be as friendly. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm stressed about this. I need to get the money in. And you know, it's, it's, we're, we're not saying that you need to be a pushover, but it's more that firm, but friendly, firm, but friendly. Yeah. And finding solutions. Like if I'm able to connect with that customer and communicate with them and reach an understanding, and even though they're past due, if Mm -hmm. if it's going to take them another couple of weeks to get, you know, back to current, then so be it. But if I'm, you know, because if that's a, if that's the most sensible resolution with the customer, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. And um, so that that's why I say we just want to we want to look at getting the dollars in the bank, even if they come a little late. So when you're looking at collection efficiencies, what's a good number? Ninety three percent. So above. you're collecting ninety three percent of everything that is contractually um, supposed to be collected that week. Correct. And when you say contractually supposed to be, it's just that contractual word is especially important. I'm not, I'm not looking. And by the way, that's a filtered number. When I say 93%, we're taking out what we generally call unexpected money. Payoffs, um, payoffs insurance large, checks, yeah. yeah. That kind of thing. So settlement checks that come is, you know, it's nice that we collected money, but it doesn't belong in our collection efficiency number because we're really just measuring payments. How well did we do with getting payments in the bank? And so again, I'll we'll be broadcasting live from the Super Forum, and I will go into greater depth on the subject of collection efficiency yeah. there. So we can talk about you know what contributes to that seven percent delinquency when we get over there. I think for today, it was really about just offering 
ways to measure different ways to measure um, performance in collections some near term some longer range they all matter we we want to just be measure kind of measure all those different data points mm -hmm. and kind of a cross section of the thing and by by pulling all those together mm -hmm. we get a better indication of how the portfolio is really performing so that's why we just we like to see you know all of those numbers be tracked yeah and at the super forum as well um we we will be broadcasting that live but amanda sanchez is right. going to be joining us for that and it's going to be talking about both sure? both the types of uh you know, how this all dovetails into um your accounting yeah. side too and for those of you who maybe just got internet for the first time last week and you don't know <laughs> you don't know who amanda sanchez and hugo sanchez are they're they're well-known cpas in yeah. the in the automotive and especially buy here pay your space yeah. and so amanda is going to join and uh, Hugo will be there too yeah of course yeah. hugo will be with us and so we're going to talk through uh, i'm going to kind of go through the performance side or the operational side mm -hmm. of the performance numbers and then amanda's going to pick up with how those things kind of dovetail to the financials. And uh, so we, we know there'll be some good information on that uh, at the Super Forum. So hopefully many of you we will see in Austin. Uh, for those who can't be there, then uh, again, our session will be broadcast live and, and uh, Michelle will figure out which buttons to push to uh, broadcast the thing. <laughs> so she's got that handle. I, I think I've kind of got that down got and I was thinking, out. oh man, I could do the countdown even. Yeah, That's, we've yeah. got a little video for that. It kind of could be a little bit fun. So um, we, uh, we're going to wrap up. We we have a, a flight to go catch. Yeah, we got to get on a plane. We got to go get on a plane. So I hope you all have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, again, tune in on Wednesday mm -hmm. um, when Scott our, Allen, Scott Allen, a president of N, um, NIADA, mm -hmm. will be joining us. And uh, yeah, have you guys have a great. Uh, and happy Halloween. Ha and, yeah, we, <laughs> I, I didn't have spooky mu music cue or anything, <laughs> but hope you guys have a very great, uh, interesting holiday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll talk to you later. Thanks.